Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80, The Zone. All right, we got to make the transition here from basketball to football. The countdown is on to college football, less than six weeks to the opening of camp. We're going to celebrate with a little bit of BYU Media Day. For those of you who missed him, Kevin Clune, BYU linebackers coach, former Aggie assistant, uh, now in Provo, coaching the linebackers. Here's Kevin Clune with PK and I on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So we were uh, talking earlier with Eliza Tuiaki, and he said the linebackers definitely look like a strength. There was some real confidence in that when he said it. You feeling that confidence? Yeah, you know, there's a lot to live up to with these guys, but uh, I got a great crew of guys. I got a great room of, of hardworking kids. Um, and I expect them. I expect the world from them this year, and they expect them to lead the defense. I expect them to make plays um, and and run things. And so, uh, yeah, that's a lot to live up to. We lost, you know, a couple of guys from last year, but really most of the room's back. And um, you know, again, this team, you know, we're gonna have a big rough schedule and all that stuff, but uh, this team should be ready for it. You're a veteran coach. You're a veteran coach in the state of Utah. You're a veteran coach in college football. You've been around for a long time. As you evaluate this program as a newcomer into the program, what would you say is the talent level overall, not specifically defense linebacker, but I'm talking about the program? Well, you, you, you can, you know, if you show up early enough, uh, you can see our guys working out, and this is a big, good-looking team. And so, um, you know, and then you, you, you kind of couple that with the, the, that what I've noticed about these kids in the last you know ten months that I've been around um, is that they got hearts, man. They got they got they are they got strong discipline and hearts, and they work hard. And so um, you know, I think that on the on the front lines, I think in the front seven, you know, nobody's going to be able to push us around no matter who we play. Um, and you know, it's just it got all got to come together again. It's, this is a new, brand new team. Last year's team did a great job, but this is the 2021 version. So that that it's a reset. You have to start it all back from zero and you know work through all those steps but i got full confidence in these guys and when you talk about the front seven and nobody can push you around and that is of course obviously exactly what cougar fans want to hear but there have been problems in some position groups in the past years where the frontline guys had it but when there was an injury or two the depth wasn't quite wasn't quite up to snuff do you have the depth in the front seven when inevitably guys get hurt? Yeah, I think we do, especially at linebacker we do. Um, and that'll be that's always an interesting thing as you talk about injuries. How does a team, uh, you know, reload after an injury? Or You know, we got, a, again, a good schedule where there's going to be some bruises and some banging and some things like that. So how do you come back after, you know, on a Monday, okay, we've got to reset the, alignment, the, uh, the, the, the depth chart because this guy's going to be out and we move this guy over here and this guy's got to play over there. Um, you know, especially at linebacker, I got guys like Peyton Wilgar who I can put in any position at any time. I could walk in at halftime and say, hey, you got to play this position. He'll do a great job. Um, smart players like Keenan Peely that uh, can, can do whatever he needs to do, you know, whatever we ask him to do. And then you got other guys. You got Ben Bywater and Max Tooley who are athletic and strong and they can fit a lot of different roles. Um, you know, you got, uh, you know, Chaz Ayu that, that can play different places, you know. And so I feel that that depth on defense is going to be there. Um, maybe you're not seeing a bunch of stars, but you do have a lot of guys that maybe you never heard of. They're going to play some quality minutes. They're going to do some good stuff. Coaching is built on a lot of relationships. Can you explain the relationship that you had with Kalani that led you to end up being here? Well, we first met back in 03, I think and um work together at southern utah and it's it's a great situation when you can work somewhere in southern utah and, and that maybe you can make some mistakes that go unnoticed you yeah. know down there that kind of thing <laughs> but uh 
we we battled down there. We you know you know we felt like we built that program. We came in with a, it was a one win team, and you know we left after two years with six wins. You know, and, and kind of was right on the edge and had some really good young players. We battled and recruited and figured things out and made mistakes together. Um, and just over those you know last eighteen years or so, just staying in touch and talking defense and just you know and and this and as well as the rest of the staff that i'm close with these are great quality men that uh that that kalani's assembled and so you know these this is my family these are my guys and my football guys that i go to and and love talking with and you know i spend christmas with uh you know with a rod's family or whatever it is you know that it's it's um it's a unique situation so the Thunderbird Mafia, that's the key, yeah, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> go with that. I wouldn't go that far, but sure, yeah. Okay. So one thing uh, that came out of that program, I think, is they had some success over time, was the ability not just to identify the guys who are the best, but identify the guys who can be down the line. And so do you kind of see that pipeline at BYU, guys who've made that progression are now really good, guys who are in the middle of making that progression and still have upside that hasn't been reached yet? Yeah, I think there's a lot of that. We still have, you know, walk-ons that, that you may not know about yet that are going to do, you know, great things on either special teams or defense or things like that. But it goes back to a lot of recruiting in that, you know, you recruit athletes and good players, and then you figure out what positions to put them in. And this kid may not have been the best linebacker around, but he's a safety who likes to bang, and so he's going to grow after a mission. And he comes back, he's 22 years old or whatever it is, and, and he's, you know, 30 pounds heavier and now he's a linebacker and so that athleticism can translate into different positions um and so that's one thing i think we do a lot of here is that you're you're projecting just athleticism and then we'll figure out where the positions happen later yeah that's sort of the ed lamb philosophy isn't it yeah yeah sure so correct me if i'm wrong but the opening came because on the staff came because two offensive coaches left yeah and that's Grimes in the old line and Grimes took a kit. The guy went down to his name's escaping me right now, but he went down to uh, Baylor. And so they chose to replace the body with a defensive guy. Uh, how does that all work? Well, they were six on offense, four on defense before. Um, and now it's five and five. I think it just, again, it may not have been we need exactly this position or that position. It just kind of like this is a good you know, situation. I'm loved that we got Coach Funk, who's got experience all over the place. Um, I don't know who's worked at more places, me or him, but uh, <laughs> but you know, I'll look to count that up one day. But no, I think it's a it'll be a good situation, and, and uh, you know, offensively they should be able to handle the five. We can handle the five on defense. So, what is your recruiting territory? How is that working out? So, I got like the Bay Area, like the peninsula, kind of the west side, up from up to. Uh, you know, Sonoma and up the coast and then down to Monterey County where I grew up. And then um, kind of secondarily, I got some, uh, I got an area up in, in the Pacific Northwest with Oregon and Washington. And, you know, we have a couple of kids that have come out of that, that area. So I think that uh, that could be a fruitful situation. You talk about having some depth and maybe some guys we don't know. You look at the linebacker spot, and when we think of BYU going back, we think of pass-happy offenses and all that stuff. But off the top of my head, I can recite five, six guys here in recent years at the linebacker spot who've not only gone to the NFL but played extremely well at the NFL. So the standards are very, very high. 
there at the NFL. Do you believe in the time that you've had to evaluate these players since you've been with the program that you've got NFL guys there? Yeah, for sure. And uh, definitely, you know, they're going to put the product on the field and you're going to see that, but they also have the combine numbers or whatever it may be. Yeah. And, you know, you're going to see, um, you know, we have a very young crew. I don't know if we have anybody that's listed as a junior or senior right now, but you know, after four or five years here, that some of the guys I'm sure will, will move on and try their shot in the NFL. But um, yeah, I do believe that these guys will have a shot, and, and it's just it's just getting that shot. You don't know when you go to a team what the situation may be as far as the depth chart or as far as um, you know the scheme that may or may not fit exactly what you're you're doing the best. All those different things, but you just got to get that shot and find a way in and find a way to make a make an impact, however it may be. Maybe it's on special teams. Maybe it's moving positions. You know, who knows? Um, you know, I, I coached Bobby Wagner, and he obviously was a great, great player. Did not know he was going to be that spectacular. Hall of Fame, gate. probably. Yeah, Hall of Fame player. <laughs> and, and I knew he was a great kid, and I knew he was going to do well. But the fact that they had a spot open and they were willing to give that to a rookie, you know, to run the defense, to be the guy that calls the plays, to be in the middle and do that, you know, is, it was a tremendous opportunity. He made the most of it. And so it's about, you know, just getting their foot in the door and then finding a way to make that impact because you don't know what the situation may be. You know, going to a, a team that's got to pay a quarterback can open up a guy, a role for a guy who's young and gets paid less at another position yeah. because of the salary cap. There's so many yeah. things that go All those it. economics are things we don't yeah. have to deal with. And so, um, you know, it's a who knows what the name image likeness stuff coming up. You know, that, that may <laughs> that may all change. But uh, it's yeah, crazy times. But yeah, it's it's the NFL's whole different way of thinking and a better player might get let go just because of those those dollars, you know, because of those numbers. When you look at that linebacker spot as you go out and recruit, and I know they're not necessarily specifically recruiting linebackers, but the idea of the ascension into the pro ranks from BYU, how attractive is that in terms of being helpful to recruit other linebackers because they know scheme or whatever, hey, if I'm a star at BYU as a linebacker, that probably means I'm an NFL guy. Yeah, and it's it's just kind of where this program is going. And, you know, our schedule has, what, seven P5s next year. Okay, so that's a, definitely a P5 schedule. You're going to be able to test your stu- yourself against, you know, some of the great teams. And so there's going to be no question. You're either going to be able to do it, you can't do it. Um, and, yeah, we, when we get kids in here, you know, they all want to go to the NFL, and they're going to get that shot, and they're definitely going to be able to, to put it on film. Um, nothing's going to be able to hold them back here. But, uh, you know, there's also other reasons why they come to this school. So yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's a unique situation that I'm, I'm just seeing the tip of the iceberg about. So what do you, if anything, do you know about Arizona? What can you tell us about the opener, what you're going to be facing there? Well, it's a whole new situation. You've got a whole bunch of new coaches, and you've got a whole bunch of new portal guys coming in. You've got a whole bunch of, you know, question marks. And so, you know, I'm going back to watching UCLA film from 2017 when, when Josh Rosen was still at, at UCLA, you know, and I'm trying to figure out schemes and stuff like that that the coach might like, you know. And, and uh, you know, then we watch some – Seattle Seahawks run game because Brendan Carroll's, you know, he's all that stuff. So it's just kind of a mishmash of, of all that as we're getting prepared. And we don't know exactly what the personnel will be because of those all those transfers and, you know, who's going to be the quarterback. And there's so many questions. But, you know, our kids will be ready. They'll be ready to play. Um, apparently I hear, 
you know, the BYU fans just spent a whole bunch of money and got 47,000 tickets for that game. Is that you guys? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, well, gosh, we've been down there for years. <laughs> you know, BYU basically <laughs> saved the, from extinction the Vegas Bowl yeah. when Bronco finally got it going. And, and they, they ref, uh, refer to Vegas as BYU's home away yeah, from home. Yeah, so, I was in Hawaii. Yeah. They called it the Ninth Island, but uh, but yeah, but, uh, <laughs> no, but no, it's it's great to see. I mean, so when you see all that support, you know, there's not our guys are going to be ready to go. Our sure. guys are going to be jacked up, and our guys are going to do their best for the fans. NFL because stadium. La- yeah, last year we empty stadium. You know, that was that was a shame that those kids know, didn't totally. get to, to yeah. showcase what they can do totally. in front of yeah. people. So um, yeah, this it'll be a fun game, and let's go. Can't wait. Well, Coach, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks yeah. for stopping by and chatting with us. Yeah, excellent. Anytime. There's Kevin Clune with PKNI, the linebackers coach at BYU. When we come back, Gennaro Guilford. Ah, a really good defensive back. Now coaching up the next generation of DBs. Gennaro Guilford, next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. The countdown to football is on. Less than six weeks to camp. PK and I were at BYU Media Day. We talked with Gennaro Guilford, former BYU cornerback, now coaching up the corners, working with the guys in the secondary. Here's Gennaro Guilford with PK and I on 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. You sat down and immediately PK launched into South Bay talk with you. Yeah. <laughs> we go back. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah, yeah. But I'm the curious, because, because you... Um, You've been at BYU a long time because you were here as a player, uh-huh. right? And now you're back here coaching for a while. But you've got the ties out of state. So as you travel back and forth and you do the recruiting thing and keep in touch with friends, family, teammates, all that kind of stuff, how much impact does a season like last season have on the perception of BYU? And how much are reputations kind of in place and no one 3-9 and nine season or 11-1 and one season really moves the needle because – You've, you've got a rep, and you've kind of got a brand, and, and it is what it is in college yeah. football. Um, tremendous impact, um, especially um, last year being that, you know, everybody didn't play, and we were on TV pretty much every week. Mm-hmm. Um, so guys got to see the, the style of football that we play. Um, and then on top of that, after the season, having 12 guys sign NFL contracts is very, very big. Um, you know, so um, guys, guys got a chance to, to see the – different um the different people that we have on our team from uh, guys from guys being from everywhere um and then they got a chance to to see that um if they do come to BYU you can uh make it to the NFL from here as well as you know all the the SCs and everybody else so um they see that we do have guys that can play um different positions um they see that we played 30 guys on defense every game. So um, it was just a plus, and we start getting hit up by a lot of guys who um, are interested now. One of the things that may be difficult to go through in the moment is it seemed like in the secondary you guys had a lot of injuries 
over the last few years, which in turn actually allowed you to play more guys, maybe some guys that were before they were actually ready to play, but nevertheless you had to get them out on the field because it was a body issue. How much is that benefiting? Because you took a big hit in the the amount of guys, two guys right off the bat that I know, uh, well, three guys come to mind that you left that signed NFL contracts out of the secondary, so that's a pretty nasty hit, but you do have some guys who have experience ready to go. Yeah, it was kind of a blessing in disguise a little bit because those guys got got a chance to get viable reps, you yeah. know. Um, so we bring back um, probably seven or eight guys who have all started games for us. Um, so, um, and those guys would have probably played a total of twenty plays had yeah, yeah. had that not uh, happened. So um, makes makes um, us feel a little a little better as as coaches um, as we have guys with that that amount of experience now um, that are competing for starting jobs so when i talk about brands and reputations and all that that all these nfl guys in the byu secondary has not been the story for a long long time how does that story get changed uh you know we just um continue to do everything that um kalani and coach coach lamb and, and toyaki they have a, a a big picture um recruiting certain guys um you know um developing them um doing 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 everything that that we've been been doing hitting the weight room hard six days a week running um you know um using the football iq kalani's big on that of, of us you know putting them in certain situations all the time and having them get 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 smarter and smarter so so when the time comes um and and, and they're they're able to make plays it's like second nature now a lot of the kids that are playing a cornerback for you as your position coach. Uh, a lot of them, most most of them, I think, are from the West. Uh, so these guys grow up around Pac-12, and you guys are playing a number of Pac-12 teams. How important is that for them when you go out and recruit? Say we're going to play SC, we're going to play the Arizonas. Obviously, you got the Utah thing going on, uh-huh. and, uh, Stanford down the line, and so forth. Uh, very important, um, especially because they have a lot of friends, yeah. um, you know, that that play at those schools. The guys, guys that they've been um, playing against for the last four years, who they think they, that they can compete with, and they might be um, overlooked. You know, those guys are going to big schools, so now they have a chance to play them. They have a chance to to come home, and that's that's something that we um, look at as well. You know, guys being from Vegas, being from Arizona, being from California, and we're always going to those states to play um, pretty much every year. Um, it's, a, it's a great chance for their family to, to, to come out and see them, um, you know, two or, or three times a year or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So, um, so so for us, that's, that's a huge deal, and that's something that we definitely um, look into. I think for old-time BYU fans, they think of the link that uh, BYU had with Ricks or with Snow, Dixie when it was at JC. But the link on this coaching staff with Southern Utah is really pronounced now. Now, you weren't there the same time that Kevin Kloon was there or, or Kalani was mm. there. But how much is the familiarity and that kind of process of being a coach? Coach Kloon was talking about you can go to Southern Utah, learn make mistakes, not be on the big stage, mm-hmm. maybe yeah, let them kind of slide a little bit. Mm-hmm. Was that really important to your career arc? It was. It was for me, um, and especially for me starting at a Division three school, you know. So I got a chance to kind of really, really sit back and learn um, being at a, at a Division three school in, in California, um, Whittier College, um, being there, and then going to Southern Utah, um, you know, kind of being um, looked at as one of um, the, 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 the bottom tier, per se. Um, so being there with Coach Lamb and, and him turning things around um, and, and being – the, the top school in the the big sky um, from 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 year one to year two 
um, it just kind of taught us a lot, um, and I, I was able to, to, to be around great coaches. Now, I know you can't talk about kids that aren't in the program, so I'm going to ask you generally. You're going to know what I'm talking about, but I know you can't <laughs> mention names. You know, you had in some camps, you got a, a, a hot shot uh, defensive back out of Florida to at least come out and take a look at the program. Um, is that something that is new to the program in terms of your spreading uh, maybe the message a little wider, and, and can we anticipate that actually coming to pass? We're going to get kids that are actually beyond the West. Uh, you know what? And it has it has um, it's it's bigger than just um, our players and, and, and coaching staff. It's, it's it's you guys. It's the fans. Um, it's it's their it's their family members, people who actually come out to Pro and actually see see it for 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 what it is, and, and don't just um, go by the. Word of mouth or whatever the case may be, you know, but for guys to actually come out, you know, um, so the more people that come out and see it, the more the this economy continues to boom. People are going to people are going to come and see that this is actually a great place to live, great place to raise a family. Um, As as a parent now, I can I can totally understand why you would love for your son or daughter to come here because, you know, they're in a safe environment. They'll they'll be around uh, great people. So um, the more the more people actually come out and, and see Provo the more we'll actually get guys to come in. And how much at this point is it really uh, – is the emphasis really shifting to your players doing the recruiting? So when a player comes out, a chance they have to interact, whether it's with a small group or a big group, depending on the time of year they're here, how critical is your players selling the program at this point? Now that now that Kalani's been here and yeah. had a run. Um, for us, that's, that's, that's been since day one. Um, Kalani always always tells tells players, look, it's it's a it's it's a players team, and you guys um, should actually sit down with our players away from us coaches um, because players aren't going to lie. Players aren't going to lie, especially if coaches aren't there. They're they're going to tell the the honest truth, um, whether we like it or not. But that's just the rea- reality of it, you know. So um, we tell we tell all all all. Um, Recruits, whether they come here, go to SE or whatever the case may be, go around the players, get around the players, ask them the questions, and they'll be 100% honest with you. So we are, we've been around long enough that we remember you as a player and you were a kid. Now you're an old guy and you're coaching <laughs> these kids who look at you as an old guy. Yeah. You ever tempted to slide in the uh, film and maybe show them a certain interception along the sidelines that you made in a big game? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Honestly, I've I've never I've never showed my guys um, my film. Um, they've seen it, but not for me. <laughs> you know, they are like, oh, okay, coach, I, you can you can play a little bit when you was here. I'm like, you know, I was I was all right. You know, I can, I can hold my own. And they're like, no, I seen I seen some highlights, but no, nah, I've 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 never just been one to to pop on. Just you remember just that interception I'm talking about? What, what, what was that against? <laughs> what was that? What was that? What year was that? <laughs> there was a there was a long winning streak hanging in the balance at that point, yeah. and it looked like it was about to go away. No, sideline pass, if I remember, along the if BYU sideline. If I remember, BYU had had a very unlikely comeback to score two late touchdowns <laughs> and take the lead, and then Utah was on a very unlikely drive. Hey, I didn't mention names. Yeah, we all know. <laughs> Fourth and ten, they threw it on offensive linemen and converted it, so I don't want to say the oh, defense yeah. was reeling. 
The defense needed a player to step up and make a play because the defense was real. Oh, yeah. You were. The de- I, honestly, I could not believe that they were driving at that point, but it was getting to the point I'm like, they're going to crack. If someone doesn't make a big play, this is going to be an unbelievable ending. And then you make the interception, and the video your players all see, and people can go find it on YouTube, I'm yeah. sure. The cameras are shaking. The stadium is bouncing. Yeah, there was yeah. a little bit of tension released in that stadium in that moment. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Now, are you like, when we start bringing this up, are you like trans? transported back and you can oh, you yeah, feel I, the guys can, on the sideline and absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah. i mean justin in our middle backer who's now the d coordinator at a well what is it utah dixie but uh, oh, they just changed, whatever yeah, dixie you, or whatever they just what changed. are they calling now uh, i know they just changed it it's but, gonna be uh polytechnic, polytechnic yeah. Oh, yeah okay yeah i didn't know if it's it was gonna be dixie, utah, but polytech Polytechnic State University. Okay. okay. UPSU. Well, UPSU. Okay, yeah. Okay. I, I just That'll remember. take some getting used to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'll, in my head, I'm still I'm still saying Dixie, but I'm right, like, right, well, right. I think they changed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, no, yeah, after that fourth and ten to the the offensive tackle, tackle eligible, yeah, yeah. I, I'm like, oh, wow. They're, now they're just reaching, like, man. And Anna's like, look, man, we have, to, we have to make a play. Somebody has to make a play. And, you know, he's so intense. And he's still that way, to, like, to this day. Um but I just remember him bringing us together, like looking at everybody and being so intense, like somebody's going to make a play. Yeah, that's a funny thing. I remember that game and the getting in the elevator and, and, and from the press row, then we stop on the next floor, which is the uh, high roller boosters, mm-hmm. and a bunch of youth fans get on, and they're just as giddy as can be, right? Yeah. Because they think they got that. So we go the next, uh, whatever it is, the four or five stories down, and they're celebrating wildly because they think, and I thought too, I thought, yeah. well, they, they got this game, right? Yeah. So I can see why they're being happy. But you talk about making a play, and, and you made that play, and that won the game and everybody went nuts and all that stuff. And you had a guy, uh, he got a couple brothers on the team a few years back, Nakua, uh, who's in the NFL, has had an opportunity to make a bunch of plays. He made plays. It seemed like every time you needed a pick, he came up with it. Literally right in the very last game, in the bowl game, he gets a pick. Uh, How good do you feel about your guys back there being able to make a play when there needs to be a play made? You know what? They have to um, prove that they can do it. They've they've done it a few times as far as practice practice stuff goes like that. But we all know um, game time is, is going to be a little different. So um, those guys are, are, are willing to, to, to prove it. Um, and I just I just can't wait for them to, to go out and make plays. But um, we do think that we have a few guys who can who can go out there and make those plays. Guys who have the football IQ, who have the ball skills. Um, guys that are willing willing to. To take, to take chances because we all know as a defensive back I mean sometimes you have to take chances um, you might give up a few, a few plays taking chances but but at the end of the day um, if you if you watch film and have have the, the football IQ um, those plays just happen for you at times General Guilford assistant coach here at BYU it's BYU Football Media Day General we appreciate a few minutes thanks for sitting down with us thank you appreciate you alright there's General Guilford and Kevin Kloon working with the linebackers and the corners at BYU. When we come back, we're going to switch to basketball, and Andy Bailey will join us to look back at the Jazz and what's gone wrong and what they need to fix going forward. Not so much what's gone wrong. Well, you got to look at what's gone wrong. But really, where is it going forward? What are the roster moves? Where do guys need to improve? We'll get to that next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. 
from Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, we're joined now by Andy Bailey, NBA analyst for Bleacher Report. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Andy, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Andy, I think we're going to start off with a question that is on everybody's mind. I'm just going to ask it on behalf of the people. What the bleep just happened, Andy? <laughs> Come on! Man, I it was a total meltdown. I think that's what happened. Um, when when the news broke that Kawhi Leonard sprained his knee and was you know out indefinitely, that was sort of the door opening for the Jazz. Obviously, I mean, I I think at that point they were clearly the better team, um, and I, I still think they have a better roster than a Kawhi-less Los Angeles Clippers. Um, they just got hit with that small ball lineup and, and never made any kind of an adjustment. And I think that's the big takeaway. There's, there's a lot of people today and, you know, the last few days in the national media and elsewhere kind of wringing their hands about Rudy Gobert and how you can't pay him and play him in the playoffs. You can't possibly pay him that contract that he's, he's got. Um, and it just won't work. But I think the bigger takeaway is you just have to be able to adjust. Um, there are 24, 25 teams in the NBA that Rudy Gobert just dominates, and you, you need to have him out there against those teams. But the teams that can go small in the playoffs, we've seen year after year, can go far in the playoffs. And, and Utah has to have some kind of counter for that, even if it's just for a few minutes here and there. Um, you have to be able to stem that tide. When Terrence Mann is hitting <laughs> three after three in the corner and, and yelling at the the opposing players i think at one point he was yelling at gobert um you've you've got to have some other counter um try anything else at some point i i think it's a meltdown in a bunch of different ways because like i said if you if if i look at those two rosters even today i think that the that the jazz and they weren't healthy either frankly um but i still think that's a better roster than the clippers without Kawhi. Totally agree with you on the Jazz health. There's nothing that can really be done about that. I don't think there's enough being talked about about Paul George mm-hmm. just running over Donovan Mitchell away from the ball in garbage time at the yep. end of Game 2. But as much as it would be fun to sit around and complain about that, and that's worth complaining about, and I don't think there's been enough said about that, you know, c- coaches tell players, control what you can control. So now I think the message for the players, the coaches, and the front office is, well, control what you can t- control. You can't control Paul George running Donovan over. You can't control that Donovan and, and Mike Conley had the injuries in the regular season that sidelined him the last month of the regular season. What can you control? Well, from a player perspective, the f- first thing I would go, as long as we're on the small ball thing, before we get to the front office perspective, Rudy, you got to punish small ball lineups. Yeah, You've got to punish them. There have to be more dunks. There have to be coaches who say, I know we want to go small ball, but if we put this 6'8 guy out there who shoots threes, okay, a, a Morris-type player, we're in trouble. Like, we're giving up two 
every possession at the other end. Between Donovan Mitchell getting layups, and I realized Donovan couldn't really drive because he was hurt, right? Between Donovan Mitchell layups and Rudy Gobert dunks, like they're going to score two points every time down the floor. So I feel like that's the first thing that's got to happen is Rudy's got to punish small ball lineups. I think that's true, um, and I don't. I don't want to sound like the biggest Gobert apologist in the media right now, and maybe maybe that's my title. I'll own it if it is. Um, he he needs to punish smaller lineups, but he's he's never been a post up guy, and I don't think he needs to be. Um, a, a big part of Gobert punishing smaller lineups falls on the guards and the wings on that team. And, and I, you know, I don't think it was as bad as it was a couple of years ago when, when there were clips of Gobert going around the internet, jumping up and down the lane and screaming at his teammates for not getting him the ball. But there were still times in that series where he's rolling to the rim. And the only guy between him and the basket is somebody like Reggie Jackson or Marcus Morris or Nick Batum. Um, and that, that ball's got to be there. Um, and, and I, you know, a lot of people have countered me online saying, well, he can't catch the ball. Um, he can't, you know, make a move if he does get it. So get it to him high. Throw him a lob. <laughs> uh, you're totally, I, I believe this 100%, don't throw the ball to Rudy. Throw the ball towards the rim and let him yes. go get it. And when he's Absolutely. going to the rim to get it, I think then the numbers are off the charts in his he's favor. He's right. one of the best lob finishers in the league. And frankly, he, he hasn't played with a great lob passer um, maybe his whole career. I mean, even when Ricky Rubio was there, there were all those stories about how he just wasn't used to throwing lobs. Um, and Conley was coming from playing with Gasol for 10 or 15 years or whatever it was. He's certainly not a lob finisher. Um, you know, Mitchell obviously has time to develop that part of his game. But when I watch, you know, these, these guys are kind of anomalies, so you can't expect to have someone like this necessarily. But you, you watch a lob passer like Trey Young or James Harden, and you think, man, what would Rudy Gobert do with somebody like that? setting him up um you know I, I think with a really good lob passer he's probably close to 20 points a game um and certainly if teams go small he's going to destroy them and and i i love the way that you express that it's it's just throw the ball to the rim and let him go get it because his length is is pretty much unparalleled he's pretty explosive for a guy of his size um so i think you know certainly it's on him to a degree but it's also on those teammates to get him the ball where he can be successful, and I think simple pick and rolls with lobs, I, I think, would have torn those smaller lineups apart. The Utah Jazz in the regular season were 21 and 15 on the road. In the playoffs, they went, they, they were good in Memphis. They went 2 and 0 in Memphis, but they went 0 and 3 in LA. Not only did they go 0 and 3, just like the toughness, the grit, the resilience, I thought it was lacking in all three of the losses. There were just times they had that look in their eye like, we're not going to get it done. We know we're not going to get it done. And we don't really know what we should change now, but we just know this isn't working. What are they going to do? And 21 and 15 is not a horrible road record. It's not the best road record in the league, but it's not far off it. So it's not like they were terrible. The Suns were the best team on the road. And then the Nuggets, and then I think the Jazz are tied for third with the Clippers. So they're not terrible in the regular season, but in the playoffs. Did that bug you, the look in their eye in the three road games? Yeah, I mean, you're right. 21-15 and is a solid road record. And there was, I think there is something to what you're saying. There's Every year in the postseason or when the postseason starts, um, 
there's always this little bit of me, and it's been this way for the last few years because last year it was the Bucks, this year it was the Jazz. There are these teams that just have ridiculous regular season numbers, historic regular season numbers, frankly. I think it was the Bucks maybe two years ago had one of the best um, simple rating system, which combines point differential and strength of schedule. I think they had like top 10 in the league. Um, and so I look at that as a numbers guy and think, well, of course they should win the title. Um, but then there's this little piece of me that just, it's, it's sort of intangible. Um, you know, numbers can't really measure it. I always trust guys who've done it before. Um, <laughs> as I say this, I realize it doesn't really apply to that Clippers team after Kawhi went down. Um, but it's just there's there's like a safety in predicting that Kawhi Leonard will prevail or a safety in predicting that LeBron will prevail. Um, and I think for teams that haven't gone all the way, there is a possibility that you get in those moments where, you know, you're on the road, like you said, and a run starts and you kind of tighten up. Um, you, you, you know, go away from the things that made you so good in the regular season. Maybe your shots come up a little bit short. Um, maybe maybe you try to do a hero ball thing instead of throwing it up to the rim for Rudy. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm not saying that specifically about any one player. I think there's just a combination of things that can happen for a team um, that hasn't done it before. And it's kind of weird to say that about the Jazz because they are playoff tested. I mean, they've gone to the postseason every year for a while now. Um, but they haven't gotten too deep into the playoffs. And so those moments may still kind of um, – back them down, I guess, for lack of a better term. I, I think you're on to something there. Andy Bailey joining us here to talk uh, playoffs, NBA analyst for Bleacher Report. So offseason, I think there's three different things the Jazz front office can do with the roster uh, that, that everybody's on to, and I don't, also don't think there's a chance they'll go three for three. If they do, I'll be really impressed, and Dennis Lindsay will be up there for executive of the year again. But they need more size on the guard line. They need uh, yep. the longer athletic wing defender, somebody to pair with Royce O'Neal, who even Dennis in his exit interviews alluded to. There are situations where he's a great defender and other situations that are a little bit more of a challenge for him. Uh, isolated at the top of the key is a little bit more of a challenge for him. Put him on the side where the sideline helps him a little bit and you accentuate his strength, he's a better defender. Put him in the middle floor with quickness, that, that might be an issue and someone might be able to blow by him down the lane. We saw that in the playoffs. Um, mm-hmm. So long, a long wing defender to pair with Royce, uh, a big guard to mix in that rotation when you need to match up, and then a small ball five option because they didn't really have a small ball lineup. Some people want to play Ilya Silva. I think they'd seen enough out of him defensively to think that that was not going to work. So those three things, are you on with uh, – are there any of those you don't agree with? Would you prioritize one over another? I, I think you're right on um, with all of those. And like you said, it would be very difficult to go three of three. It might even be hard to go two of three. Um, but if you, get, <laughs> if you get one, it's better than the situation that you're in right now. I think the first one that you identified is one that's not talked about enough. Um, the size of their starting backcourt is just really small. Uh, this season when they finally made players – list their heights without their shoes. I think Conley and Mitchell both came in at six one. Um and, and Mitchell can mitigate that a little bit with his wingspan. Um but there are just a lot of backcourts that are gonna be able to look right over the top of you if you if you have two starting guards who are six one. Um and I you know, you somebody may correct me on this, um, 
listing, but I think Royce O'Neal was even listed at six four after they, you know, changed the way that they list heights. So he's not big either. He looks bigger on the floor to me. Um, but he's not six eight Nicholas Batum. He's not six eight, six nine Marcus Morris. Um so if you come up against a team like the Clippers and and another thing I think that should be noted is the Clippers were probably the worst possible matchup for the Jazz. I mean, this this was the team that could expose all of this, and there may not have been another team left in the playoffs that could to this degree. And Phoenix has some wings that are kind of similar, so maybe the same thing would have happened against Phoenix, but I think the Clippers are the worst possible matchup in terms of all this stuff. Um, when you come up against a team with a bunch of guys in that 6'6 six, six to 6'8 six, range who can all shoot a little bit, who can all dribble a little bit, um, it's just it's going to be a huge problem. Um, and, and I think whether it's a wing defender, a bigger guard, or a small ball five, anyone who can contain on the perimeter a little bit better would have helped because there was there were stretches in the second half of that last game where it was just blow by after blow yep. by, and then all of a sudden Rudy Gobert is in this terrible, you know, what do I do? <laughs> do I protect the rim or do I go get Terrence Mann? And I think he, he made the calculation, and it's probably a fair one, to, to protect the rim. And so over and over and over, he's late getting out to man. And those are the highlights that get shared on the Internet is him, you know, being a second or two late to man. Um, but <laughs> if you're in that situation, what else are you going to do? I mean, you, you can give up a layup or give, a, give up a three, and obviously the three's worth more points, but nobody wants to give up layups. Um, so he was in a terrible bind. So <clears throat> this is a long-winded answer, but I agree that those are three things that they need. If they can even get one of them, it helps. Um, you know, I... <laughs> I'm not a guy who's a big G League aficionado, but I, I still kind of wonder what's going on with Jarrell Brantley. I mean, maybe he's a guy who could play small ball five for a few minutes here and there. Um, I, I don't think they had great options this uh, season, and, and so, yeah, those are going to be priorities this off season. But I just can't help but think they should have tried something, try anything in that second half, even if it's Joe Ingles at the five. <laughs> I mean, he's he's not fleet of foot, obviously, compared to a lot of other guys, but he's not going to be any slower than Nicholas Batum. Um, so those, I, I think you've identified three important things that they got to go after, and even if they get one or two, I think it's a successful offseason. So there's another part of me that says this really sucks because it looked so wide open. But... Yep. For a team that, uh, you know, this group hadn't been out of the first round the last couple of years, that's not the profile of a champion. Now, like you say, Phoenix might end up winning this, and Phoenix hadn't even been in the playoffs in a decade, so that's not the profile of a champion either. So, you know, Milwaukee, I guess, is the one team that if they win it, you can say, well, they were building towards it, and this makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because the Atlanta Hawks and the Phoenix Suns are coming out of nowhere, historically speaking, and that shouldn't happen. You know, maybe the Clippers or Bucks, you understand a little more, but not the Clippers without Kawhi. So only the Bucks would fit the model of what how a champion should progress. Having said that, the Jazz are on a progression path. Stockton and Malone didn't get there until their seventh and eighth years and required a first-round upset to give them an easier opponent in the second round to get to the Western Final. So shouldn't everybody stand back even though, well, that's never going to happen and I'm asking the impossible. No, I think you're looking at it the rational way. Um, well, who's got time for that? <laughs> I don't think there are, and I kind of understand why so many people are irrational at this point. It's been, I think, 10, 15, 20 years in the NBA of a pattern being established that if you don't get it done in two or three years, it's time to break it up. 
Um, where, I mean, you bring up a great example with the 90s Jazz and how long it took them to get to the finals. Um, it took Michael Jordan quite a while to get to his first finals. And that was sort of the model in the past. We've gone away from that now. Um, and we're in this, we're in this super constant, teams. <laughs> yeah. Super teams turnover. If you don't, if you don't have a superstar, you can't win. Um, and if you don't get it done in two or three years, you got to try something else. And so I think there will be a temptation to look at this roster and say, well, you know, we've, we've gotten cooked by a small ball lineup a few times in the playoffs. Um, maybe we explore the mark, explore the market for Rudy Gobert. I don't, I don't know if that's a good idea. Um, because like I said, against 24, 25 teams, he is dominant. I mean, he. I, I looked this number up the other day. In the last five seasons, the only player in the league with a better total plus minus than Gobert is Stephen Curry. Um, if you trade Gobert and suddenly the team's built around Mitchell, I mean, it might work, but you could also be, you know, seventh or eighth in the playoffs next season. You'd be the, I think you'd Gobert, be the, you'd be the Portland Trailblazers. For sure. I mean, you'd be in a very similar situation. That's a great comparison. Um, Gobert is a guy that, that almost guarantees you a top-five defense and gives you a really good shot at home-court advantage every single season. And so I, don't, I think it's way too early to pull the plug on that. Um, I, I think what you've got to do, and this is more difficult to do, especially with the size of Gobert's contract, um, but you have to be able to adjust for those four or five teams that can punish you when you have Gobert on the floor. You have to have some other option that you can go to, even if it's, you know, 10 minutes in the second half, 15 minutes in the second half, there's got to be some kind of an adjustment available um, because every year, especially in the Western Conference, we see year after year, there's at least two or three teams towards the end that can do that. They can they can deploy those positionless lineups that can hurt you from the outside, and, and we've seen that that's trouble for Gobert and the Jazz. So to go back to that whole building thing where the Jazz, uh, it takes seven or eight years, depending on which player you're talking about, for Stockton Malone to get to a conference final. And then they go to five conference finals in seven years, and we all get spoiled. And by the way, I showed up in town at exactly the right time. Thank you very much. Um, But that team that went in 92, the first one, they moved everybody on the roster. They lost to the Blazers in the conference finals in six and of the Clyde Drexler group, right? And so they walk off. They lose that series. They walk off. That's the spring of 92. By the fall of 94, 18 months later, there's only three guys left on the roster. Stockton, Malone, Benoit. They flip everybody else. And because they went five times in seven years, and because they kept a couple, you know, the, the stars together, nobody really notices that. So, yeah. the people who are screaming, oh, go bear! I'm like, wow! No, because of all the reasons you said. But... The roster right now is set up where there's a guy or two around Gobert and uh, Donovan Mitchell whose contract comes up every year. It's Conley and Niang this year, Niang being the ninth guy in the rotation. It's Ingles the next year. It's Bogey and Favors the year after that. It's Royce O'Neal and Jordan Clarkson after that. So the roster is set up to flip if that's what they decide needs to be done. Some of these guys are younger, some of these guys are older, and that will you know, obviously inform the decision. But they're there to flip a guy or two every year, and then if you accelerate it with a trade, I don't know if it'll be as dramatic as what they did in 92, but this roster could change dramatically. I don't think it changes dramatically this summer because Dennis Lindsay just said, we see 
in Houston, when he was in Houston, and in San Antonio, now in Utah, we've seen guys in their second or third year really make big steps forward. This will be year three for Conley if he resigns. This will be year three for Bogey. So, but if they get to another year, and you know, if they go out in the first round next year, well, then there's going to be massive roster turnover. I don't think it will involve Gobert and Mitchell, but beyond Gobert and Mitchell, it might involve anybody because you've got a lot of guys who will either be free agents or only have one year left on their deal. So, it seems to me that's the timeline for massive change. Yeah, I think you could be onto something there, and I, I don't necessarily think that anything should be off the table over the next few years. Probably Donovan Mitchell, um, because, and I you know, I should be stronger than probably. Even. <laughs> Mitchell, um, they're, they're, yeah. Go ahead. I mean, Mitchell's they're, they're the guy. So didn't didn't guys. you didn't yeah. you watch him in the playoffs on one ankle, score 39, and have nine <laughs> rebounds and nine assists and think, he's doing this and they know he can't drive and jump, and he's going for yeah. 39 and nine? To me, Bubble Mitchell, that w- he just happened to be in a bubble. That's who he is. Doesn't have anything to do with yeah. shooting background and travel. You can ride Mitchell as a number one scoring option to an NBA title. The last two years, three playoff series have convinced me. I'm I'm with you there, and yeah, I think probably was too light of a word to use there. I mean, he's he's ridiculous. I think when I looked it up, he's got the fifth highest playoff scoring average in in league history. Um, the guys behind guys like Durant and, and Jordan. I mean, he's in rarefied air there. Um, and I think it's especially impressive, as you just said, that he was doing it on one leg here in the last couple of games against the Clippers. So. Let's put him off the table. Um, I don't necessarily think that they should rule out a Gobert trade. I think that they should have to be blown away by an offer for that to happen, and I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think other teams in the league, after what just happened in the playoffs, are going to blow that jazz away with an offer. Um, so those two guys are probably set. Um, and like you said, there, there are opportunities for turnover over the next few years. I've, I've brought this up on your show and elsewhere a bunch of times. I, I am concerned about the size of a Conley-Mitchell backcourt, but I don't know what else you do if you let Mike Conley walk. You don't have cap space suddenly if you don't re-sign him. They're already over the cap. Um, so, you know, I don't know if it's a two- or three-year deal for Conley, whatever it may be, um, but you might have to sign him because you, you can't really lose that asset. Um, so I think you're right. I think the timeline might be pushed out another year or two before there are big changes made. I think as far as top twos go, there really aren't many that get better than Mitchell and Gobert and still have some potential to grow. I think, I think there are still some steps that Mitchell can take. Um, you know, Gobert's probably a finished product at this point, and I, you know, I'm not one of those guys who thinks he needs to add a jump hook or anything like that. I think he can score 16, 17 points a game as a lob finisher. Um, so I think they've got a great top two, and I think over the next couple of years, if they don't break through next season, um, yeah, they're, they're going to have to start thinking about adjusting that roster a little bit. I don't care about Gobert shooting 15-footers. we got people tweeting at no. us. I don't think he needs to add that. I just think he needs to be able to finish through contact when he's inside of five feet. Yeah, I think if you you know if he's got Reggie Jackson on him or something like that, you should be able to dump it to him, and he turns and dunks. Um, yeah, I, I think that should be the extent of his post moves. I don't even necessarily think he needs like a drop step. Um, you know, it'd be nice if he could add something like that. But I think he gives you a decent amount of offense already with what he's got. But I think I think that point that you just made is very fair. If if he's got a guy who's five, six, seven inches shorter than him, um, you know, it should be a little bit easier to punish them for that. 
Andy, I have many questions about the NBA and the NBA playoffs. We'll have to get to them another time. But real quick, uh, who's in the finals and who wins? What a crazy conference finals, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think the safe pick is probably Phoenix and Milwaukee in the finals just because Kawhi's out, like we've said a bunch of times. And I, I'm, I'm going to say Milwaukee. I mean, you can hear me starting the word Phoenix, but I'm going to say Milwaukee. <laughs> it's such a tough call right now. I think it would be a cool story if Chris Paul broke through. Um, I, I think... I think Milwaukee's just a little bit more talented at the top. I'm, as I say this, I'm kind of you know thinking through the rosters in my head, and I'm not so sure. Um, but just for the sake of giving you a pick, I'll say Milwaukee. Andy, we appreciate the time. Look forward to having you again on the show down the road. Appreciate it. There's Andy Bailey from Bleacher Report. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.